In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. During the next year, we will mostly have gospel lessons from the Gospel of Mark. But you notice that at Christmas time, we didn't have that because Mark doesn't have a nativity story. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus springs up full grown at age 30. He gets baptized, he goes out, and immediately starts doing something. Mark's Gospel is a gospel of action. There's more healing miracles than any other gospel in Mark. And it's a good thing that we have four Gospels because that way we get a different look at who God is through Christ uh, from four different angles. It's kind of like knowing a a person who is your neighbor, but you also work with them, but they also are your brother-in-law, and they also go to your church. So you you know them from several different angles, and that's a good thing. The uh, Gospel of Luke is what we had at Christmas time because Luke and Matthew have the nativity stories. And they come at it from a different angle. Luke is writing, he's the gospel to the poor. And uh, not coincidentally, guess who shows up at the manger? Poor folks, the shepherds. And then Matthew is uh, writing to a a, uh, Jewish audience. And so for him, it's important that Jesus is known as the king of the Jews because that's what's been foretold from the prophets a long time. And so who shows up? The wise men bringing gifts for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you have that long chapter of genealogy. David begat Solomon, who begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, all the way down to, and Jesus. Because they wanted to show that this, this um, Messiah was from the line of David, just like the prophets foretold. So you have that in Matthew. But today, we have the Gospel of John. And that fills in in between when we do the series on Mark, usually. The Gospel of John is uh, quite a bit different. John was written later than the other Gospels. There's a little more perspective to that. And, um, you know, John was able to look at things a little differently. But it's also written to a Greek audience. And so you can tell it's much more philosophical and, and much more theological and not as chronological. Things don't happen one after the other. John's Gospel is uh, written to Greeks. And he starts it out... He doesn't start out where Mark does at Jesus' baptism. He doesn't even start out where Matthew and Luke do, where Jesus is born. Mark starts it up way before the beginning of time. And it starts out kind of like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Remember that? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John's Gospel starts out, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And then later on, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This had to have been a tremendous concept to a Greek audience because the Greeks believed that when a word left a person's mouth, when a word was spoken, it went out and took on a life of its own and affected things for up to three to four generations, which I used to think was kind of a wacky concept, but I don't anymore. The more dysfunctional families I deal with, the more I tend to think, yeah, words that are spoken do go out and affect things for three or four generations. If they're bad words, words of shaming and derision and um, you know, put-downs and things like that, that goes out for three or four generations and affects. On the other hand, if they're good words of support and love and care and compliments, 
that also goes out for three or four generations. So, so I, I tend to think now the Greeks had something there. The word of God. The, the Greek term for that is logos to theou. Logos, which is where we get our English word logic. And what John is saying here is that Jesus is the logic of God. That if you want to make sense of who God is, you look at what Jesus did and who he associated with and how he treated people. That'll tell you who God is. Jesus makes sense of God. That Jesus was like God because he was God. But also it tells us that God is like Jesus. So if you want to know who God is, just look at his son. He's a chip off the old block. You can tell right away who he is. Who, people at that time had a bit of a notion that God was was aloof and stern and judgmental and was always, you know, whipping up on the Israelites. Well, that's because they were always disobedient and chasing other gods and not taking care of the poor. But Jesus came to show us what God's true nature really is. And uh, I read the, the commentary by Dr. William Barclay on the Gospel of John. There's a funny story in there. There's a little girl who had been reading through more of these violent and bloodthirsty passages in the Old Testament of the Holy Wars, taking over the Promised Land and all that. So all these bloodthirsty passages. And she felt like maybe she had to um, make an apology for God, give a defense of God a little bit for that. And she concluded her defense by saying, well, that was before God became a Christian. <laughs> and in, in a real sense, that kind of is the way it is. We find out who God is through Christ. What kind of people did he associate with? What was his attitude towards people? Um, you know, who, who was in, he in favor of? Who was he not in favor of and how they operated? That's, who, that's how we find that out. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we don't have to be afraid anymore. We can tell who God is. But, but I think there is still some fear behind this God dwelling among us. I remember asking this question my first parish uh, to, in a Bible class. I said, this is really God has moved into your neighborhood. God's your next door neighbor. How do you like that? And there was dead silence. And finally one of the deacons said, well... I suppose it would be nice for the children, <laughs> thinking that Jesus liked children and that'd be okay for them. But I didn't get the sense that he really thought it was going to be all that great for him or the other grown-ups in the neighborhood. So Jesus moves into the neighborhood. What does that mean? No more beer and brats party in the, in the neighborhood? It, you, you feel kind of stupid watching the Colts because Jesus might think that's a big waste of time. It, when you uh, when your lawnmower wouldn't start uh, or you hit your thumb with a hammer, would you have to learn a whole new vocabulary? Would you have to start saying, doggone, racky, snacky, son of a biscuit, oh, sugar, because uh, Jesus lives next door? Is it going to be, is Jesus the giant buzzkill of the neighborhood? Is, is he the, the ultimate wet blanket on whatever you want to do? Well, I think people do believe that sometimes. There's another story from my first parish. A long time ago, there was a, a couple that wanted to get married. Now, the mother of the bride was a, a woman who was very involved in the church. She was a very devout Christian and Lutheran. And she said to her daughter, now you are getting married in the Lutheran church. And her daughter said, well, yeah, okay. And uh, 
she said, the, the girl said, but, but and, and you have to go see Pastor Cal. She said, but d- does Rick have to go? Rick, Rick doesn't like church. He, he, you know, kind of, yes, Rick has to go. He has to go and talk about the wedding, and you probably have to do premarital counseling with Pastor Cal. Oh, man, she said. And so the, the, the mother or the bride told me about this conversation before they got there, before they came to see me. And so I was a little bit prepared ahead of time. And when, when they came in, uh, she was dragging Rick along. It looked kind of like a dog that was on a leash that was told, you're going to take a walk and you're going to like it and was dragged down the sidewalk. That's what he looked like when he came in. There's a perverse part of me that can't stop twisting the knife a little. And so I said, Rick, I understand you want to get married in the Christian church. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, why do you want to do that, Rick? Mm, she wants to. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I got the notion that maybe you aren't all that fired up about the Christian church. Is there anything to that? And Rick said, well, you know, I believe in God and all that, and uh, if we have kids, I'll, I'll bring them to Sunday school, and, meaning I'll drop them off, not that he would come. Uh, but but I'm, I'm just not ready to give up all the fun things in life yet. Well, I knew for sure Rick didn't want Jesus moving into the neighborhood. Uh, he, he thought that would, that would be the, the end of all fun. And it, that's very different than what the four Gospels present. It's very different than the Gospel of John that we have today. The Gospels present a Jesus who knows what people go through. Uh, They present a Jesus whose first miracle was to create about 150 gallons of the best wine they ever had at the wedding feast of Cana. He's a sport. Uh, So, uh, you know, that's... In the Old Testament lesson for the day, we have that the children of Israel will dance and shout when the Messiah comes. There will be singing and feasting. and Well, that sounds pretty good. But I'm not sure people really um, are thinking that. But that's what the Gospels say. And I've always felt that uh, to have a good time means fun without guilt attached. And that's what we can have. Because we don't have any guilt attached. We, we are forgiven people. We know that, that we are God's special people, that he loves us no, no matter what, and that he would do anything, even send his son to make sure we're close. So there was uh, a play I saw, uh, read, it was called Green Pastures. And it, it showed kind of a fantasy of, of God up in heaven looking down at the earth and uh, kind of shaking his head. And the angel Gabriel comes along and says, has his trumpet under his arm. He says, is it time to blow the horn, Lord? And the Lord says, no, no, don't blow the horn yet. He says, Gabriel says, well, should we send like David or Moses or somebody to wake these folks up a little bit? Uh, maybe Jeremiah or, or, or uh, you know, Isaiah, one of the prophets. And without turning around, the Lord says, no, I'm not going to send anybody this time. This time, I'm going myself. That is the incarnation. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. The incarnation that the Lord loves us enough to be us and be for us. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.